0: Well, Paul, uh, the apostle, writes this letter, and I think it's important just to uh, remind ourselves of, uh, of how the Bible is put together. It's put together by prophets and apostles who write letters or, or confirm the authenticity of letters which is gathered together into the Bible, and they are uh, uniquely the spokesmen of God. Uh, the authorization of those, the uh, confirming by the apostles, the story of the Gospels. Uh, And so Paul writes this, but in another sense we're reminded that this is God speaking to us through his word. And he writes it to a church, a church filled with all sorts of different kinds of people as we've thought about over these past few weeks Uh, People from different backgrounds, different experiences, some that you would consider spiritually uh, sorted, some that you would consider a mess. You know, in that sense, it's just a normal church. People from all sorts of backgrounds, and yet uniquely, the thing that brings them together is that they have come to see. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus who walked this earth, in their case, a few years earlier, in our case, 2,000 years ago, is uniquely the Son of God who came to die and give himself for them. What we find as we come to this particular little section, it's one of the sections of the Bible, you know... (laughs) I guess that for all of us, whether it's a record or whether it's a book or whatever it might be, there's, there's little parts that are, although everything's great, there are little parts which just leap out and are kind of, wow. Uh, and this particular little section that we're reading this afternoon is one of those wow sections of the Bible. It's one of those... Um, It's described now, as we've begun to understand more of of the culture of the day, it's described by many of the um, commentators as a hymn. Now, when we think of hymn, we immediately think of uh, standing up and singing something that comes in a number of verses don't we? Uh, Probably, possibly not that, although it might have been sung. It's quite possible that it might have been sung. But what it actually is, is one of those initial great statements of what people believe about God, what they believed about Jesus. Uh, And so we're going to be looking this afternoon, if we can get it up on the screen, we're going to be looking at um, chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look from verse... Uh, 5 onwards. We can see here Paul speaks about the idea that our minds should be of the same mind as Christ Jesus. And then it goes on from verse 6. And what comes into the letter at this point is this overwhelming, incredible statement about Jesus. So I'm going to read it to you and then we can keep it on our minds uh, and then come back to it through various points as we look at it. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, Now, for many, this little section just jumps out as a wow section. But for you, maybe, it's, well, it's interesting. I want to, this afternoon, just consider how just essential this little section is. It is possibly one of the most important parts of the Bible, although it's all God's word to us. But I think it answers questions that are fundamental. That are so many people are asking. If you go on to Google, or if you go on to um, uh, the yeah Google Google Maps, uh, you can, as you know, you can see it by Street View, or alternatively, you can go to the Map View and you can look at uh, the satellite view, and you can actually look down on the real thing. If you go into Snowden, search on Snowden, Mount Snowden, and have a look at it on the map view. Look down on Snowden from above. Uh, Some of you might have, probably some here, will have climbed Snowden. I've climbed Snowden a number of times from different paths. Fascinating, because when you're on the mountain, you're just climbing up up the mountain, but when you can see it from above... Yeah, you can see the trace lines of these path paths uh, coming up Mount Snowden. All sorts of different directions. So you've got the, the pig track, the minus track, Well, the minus track joins the pig track. You've got the rangers path. You've got the Watkin path. You've got Crib Gok and the Snowden horseshoe. You've got all of these different options, and you can see the pathways on the satellite view looking down on the top of the mountain. Now, many people would say, you know, that is just like religion. You know, at the end of the day, religion, that is just a great picture of what it is like, this religion thing. There's so many different pathways that finally lead to God. How do we untangle that issue? I think this passage speaks dramatically and powerfully about that very issue. Because every religion, it's trying to do a number of things, isn't it? All the different religions in the world, uh, one of the first things that they're trying to, we all try to do, is to explain something of the human condition. What are we like? What is humanity like? Uh, I guess that even that you might think, well, yeah, think about it pretty much all religions say that there's there's some kind of an issue, some kind of a problem that needs to be dealt with. Even if we bolster each other up, we're saying you need to live like this. Well, by implication, if you're saying you need to live like this, it's a good thing to live like this. It's an honorable thing to live like this. Even if if the religion is portraying it in a positive way, what it's actually saying is, by implication, there's a bad way to live, isn't it? I mean, let, let's, let's kind of cut through the issues and say one of the things that religion is trying to do, it's trying to address uh, the issue of the human condition. Second thing it's trying to do is to explain something of the other, or deity, or God. What is God like, however God is described by that religion? If you think about it, Every religion is saying there is something wrong or there is something about us, but there is also something about the other. What is God like? What is uh, the supernatural powers outside of this world like? They're different. According to every religion in the world, there is a difference between those two. The third thing that religion aims to do is to reconcile the two bring a resolution that's what this is about at least part of it I mean we could actually speak for the next year to be honest on this little section and not even get close I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to do that we're going to cover it off in one section this afternoon but we could spend the rest of the year just looking at that. It is so breathtaking. Let's have a look at what we see. Firstly, we see that it talks about the human condition. See that right at the very beginning? Uh, verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on, if you just. Step back from it for a minute for a minute and have a look at, in broad brush terms, what does it say about Jesus? It says that he incredibly leaves heaven, comes to earth, and gives himself as a servant, uh, and then dies. Just, let's just park that for a minute. Because what it's saying is, be like that. That speaks dramatically and powerfully about the human condition, doesn't it? It's saying, live like that, not by implication, the way you live. Because the reality is, and the, the, the issue that we face is our human condition, our natural way of living is not to live in that kind of self-sacrificing, giving way, is it? We don't live like that. We don't live in a way which is all about the other and not about me. And if you think about it, right at the very heart of the issue uh, of the human condition, the human problem, is a total kind of fixation on ourselves. It comes out, in fact the Bible makes it clear right from the very beginning, right the way through the Bible it's saying, look, your problem is you make it all about you. We make it all about us, I make it all about me. That's my problem, that's our problem. There are glimmers, there are glimmers that that we let go of things at certain times. But but the issue is we don't all, imagine a world, uh, somebody wrote a song, Imagine, didn't they? Imagine a world where every one of us were liberated from serving ourselves. Now you can think about that in the, and you see it on occasions in, in lots of good things that people do, and that's great, that's fantastic, and I, I would say that that is what the Bible would call, or the Bible has been described as God's grace on this world in a common way, that people do good things, but but the reality is that day to day. You know, the little issues of life, the things that you've been hurt by and the way that you have hurt people during this past week, month, year, the issues that we face are because we have been driven by ourselves. We've been driven by our own desires, our own agenda, and you've either been on the receiving end of it and have been hurt by it in which case you are a victim of the human condition, or we are perpetrators. We are those who continue that human condition. We don't live like this. We don't live in this continuous, self-sacrificing way. And you know what? We can't. We can't do it. We can't actually get to a point and say, right, I'll do that. I just let go of everything because we know that we were, we're going to get so hurt. It's just a broken, messed up situation, isn't it? The model that is revealed here is: we have got a problem with the way we are driven by our own agendas. We've got a problem because we only see, or we are continually driving, to make sure that our Perspective is the way. One of the things that we say is religion, it's trying to tell us what the human condition is all about. Imagine just for a minute that we could be totally stripped of the desire for that and the necessity for it. (laughs) You know what? When we sang a few minutes ago about a day that is coming. When every tear will be wiped away. When all hardship and pain and suffering are going to be gone. Why is that? Why can we look forward to a day like that? Because there is going to come a day when we will be stripped, finally, of our desire for self. I just think that is going to be an awesome day. But until that day comes, stage one, we've got an understanding of the human condition. Stage two. One of the things that we we know that religion has to do, it needs to tell us something about God, the deity, the other, as C.S. Lewis described it. That's precisely what this does. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Many people would say, um, if God is real, why doesn't he show himself? This verse says he has, remarkably. This verse says that one of the things that in understanding God we need to come to terms with is that God has made himself present in this world. Want to know what God is like? Want to understand that? The Bible makes it really clear. Look at Jesus. Because he is the one who was in the form of God. He was completely God. He is completely God. He is by very nature God. And yet he didn't imagine what it must be like. We can't even get close to imagining it, can we? What it must be like. Just give. Let me think of one thing. Imagine what it must be like to never, never, never have your plans turned upside down. So you plan something and it happens. How many times does that happen for you? How many, or rather, put it the other way, how many times do your ideas, your plans end up disturbed or turned upside down or it just doesn't work out the way you'd hoped? That never happens for God. Imagine what it must be like to know everything. Imagine what it must be like to see everything. The Bible says that's what Jesus is. But then it says he didn't consider that beautiful, amazing, glorious, heavenly situation, something to hold on to. He became like us. He became a human being. He took on human flesh and bones and breathed and slept. God never sleeps, never needs to. Jesus slept, he got weary, he fell asleep, he was tired. He felt the pressures of day to day. Reality of human life. That's what Jesus came into this world and did. So let's ask a deeper question now. One of the things that we want to do, one of the things that we want to understand is, what is God like? That's one of the things that religion is seeking to do. This says, God is like this. He's the kind of God who, although he is supremely powerful in every way imaginable, he is willing, he desires to constrain himself and come into this world. That's what God is like. He desires to limit himself. And rub shoulders with you and me. It is a beautiful thing, isn't it? There was Actually, there was... um, I'm going to beat me up at the end, but there was a a scene on American Idol. You can beat me up for watching American Idol. Uh, But there was an amazing scene at the end of one of the programs the other day. It was a guy who was about to to get engaged to his girlfriend and two months before... I think it was two months before they got married... Um, She had a terrible accident and ended up with brain damage. And she's confined to a wheelchair. Her mother uh, and her fiancé are effectively her carers. And, I, I mean, it was just breathtaking to see this guy. There was video of the way the way they were as a couple beforehand and now he's literally helping her to get from the chair into a wheelchair uh, and and strapping her legs into the wheelchair and just caring for her. And I just thought to myself, I tell you what, you are a man. <laughs> you stepped up to the plate and you've taken it and you just, you know, fantastic. But apart from that, um, they, uh, the judges asked to chat to her and uh, Steve Tyler who's bonkers mad. <laughs> He reached out and he spoke to her with compassion and gentleness. It is a beautiful thing, isn't it, to see somebody who is willing to limit themselves, condescend, and reach out to somebody who is broken. Now, imagine what God has done. Imagine the gulf that God has desired to limit himself and enter into this broken world and then to talk to ordinary human beings who are mixed up, messed up, abusive and, and to reach out with gentleness and compassion and straight talking and honesty. What is God like? I'm not talking about what does he look like. What is his character like? He's a character who reaches out to the broken, according to this. But even more than that, he's a, char- a character who is willing to go to the extreme. Because we say, okay, what is the human condition like? Then we say, what is God like? And then the final piece in our three-piece jigsaw is, how are the two reconciled? And we see that here as well, don't we? Because what we see as a dramatic statement in this hymn of the first century is that the, the writer then goes on to say he was willing to limit himself, he was willing to become a servant, he is a God of gentleness and compassion, but he is willing to limit himself to such an extent that that limit becomes that he is willing to die on a cross. God, dead. That's, that's just amazing, isn't it? God allowing himself finally to be limited by the greatest fear that we see, the fear of death. He goes through that. But why does, why does he say, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? Why is that added on? Because we know that right the way through the Bible, one of the things that is made clear is that there is a curse. A curse for anybody who, according to the Old Testament, hangs on a tree. Accursed by God. That's how willing Jesus is to come into this world and to really engage to engage to the point where he becomes cursed so that we need not be cursed by god that's the that's the overwhelming statement that we see in this what is god like He's a God of gentleness and compassion. He's a God who reaches out because our human condition is rebellious and deserves death. And then the reconciling factor is the fact that Jesus dies, not just any old death, but a death which is cursed by a Father in heaven. Three pieces of the jigsaw. A resolution. He's the one finally who has trodden down and broken And destroyed on the cross. So that those who trust in him. Need not be trodden down. Broken and destroyed. But might rise in his resurrection. And be with a father in heaven. Now. Just close by thinking about this. Well isn't that just another explanation. About religion. If you look really closely at the map of Snowden, the satellite picture from above, what you find is that all of the paths converge at the cafe. They all kind of get there. There's one path that then leads the final little bit up to the summit. One pathway. What a tremendous picture of religion. We all want the answers. What's the problem with human beings? What's the problem with our issues in this world? What is God like? And then finally, how is that reconciled? All of the religions are striving and in lots of ways partly answering lots of those questions. But not quite making it to the summit. Why? Why do no religions quite make it to the summit because of this particular section? Why? (laughs) Because no religion can ever get to the true summit. According to the human condition, none of us can ever reach out and get beyond to that final place. It takes, as we see here, not for us to reach there, but for God to reach down here. You know, that final little pathway is the pathway that we can never walk. It takes for God to leave the summit of heaven and to break into this world, to break through the one-way door because the door is shut from our direction. It is barred by our rebellion. That's the message of the Bible. That's the explanation that the Bible gives. You know, one of the things that it just seems most offensive in, in today's societies to say there is one way, I can understand that. But I just think it is logically inconsistent to say that there can be lots of ways. It just is illogical. There can't possibly be lots of ways. Because all of the, many of those ways, they disagree with each other, so they can't be logically all right, all correct. In fact, the, the, the one kind of arrogant thing, really, I would suggest, is to stand above it and say, well, they're all the same. That's really arrogant. That's really intolerant. The Bible says, no, there, there can only be one way. Logically, there can only be one way because, after all, there is disagreement. It's not, in, it's not consistent, but the Bible says, no, look, <laughs> there is one way because you can't make it. This is one of the most important, breathtaking parts of the Bible. And it says, wonderfully, amazingly, God has broken into this world so that What? So that finally he dies on a cross? Well, yes. But then what? He's exalted. God raises him up. His Father raises him uh, and returns him to that glorious place where he first came from. That's why we sung the higher throne. Because the throne that he was on before, he was back there. That's why we now look at this verse, which says, Therefore... Everybody in creation, every human being should bow the knee to that king. It's safe to bow the knee now. It's a privilege. It's a joy to bow the knee now. It is a fearful thing to bow the knee when it's too late. I encourage you. We have dealt with some pretty big stuff this afternoon. And and I would guess that some of you might be quietly seething with some of the stuff that has been said. You might be actually just thinking, not sure I agree with that. Please, can I invite you, rather than just go home and feel like you want to wrap me around a lamppost, just chat to me afterwards. Let's talk about it. Let's go a bit deeper as to why this is the most beautiful, breathtaking part of the Bible, which is the invitation to say to you, come and worship Jesus. Bow the knee now. Praise his name because he is worth it. He is the one who has broken that barrier, entered into this world and given himself for us. That's why the Apostle Paul uses this as an example of how to live a life which is worthy. He's saying to this church, just go and live like that. Go and live like that, selfless like that, stripped of your own desire because we've got something which is way more valuable than anything that this world can temporarily give us.